yeah, I'm young. I also have 600 clients. So do you want to come on board or not? I've got private equity funds. I've got syndicates. I've got small mom and pop shops. I've got people with 300 rental properties. Let's go, right? <laughs> we can do the accounting, the tax compliance, the planning. So now it's easy. But at the beginning, I just got really good at smoothly talking about, yeah, I am young. Yeah, I don't know what I'm talking about. And I'm going to tell you, I don't know what I'm talking about, but I'm also going to tell you how I'm going to get to the answer and what I'm going to present you with so that you feel comfortable that this is the right way. I'll never forget that day when I asked myself the question, is this it? Is this all there is to strive for in life? That day, I set out on a journey to find more. Now, I am sitting down with the most fulfilled to teach us the tools and tips they use to get there so we can do it faster. Think different, earn different, live fulfilled. This is Contrarian Cashflow. Welcome in Contrarian Cashflow. Today, I've got Brandon Hall with me today. Brandon, what's going on, my man? Hey, thanks for having me, John. I appreciate it. Yeah, no, appreciate you taking the time. So uh, for those folks that don't know, so Brandon is the founder of the Real Estate CPA, a former Big Four consultant, co-host of the Staying Power podcast, real estate investor, and online message board maven. So Brandon, what do you got working on right now? Well, we just wrapped up the 2021 Tax and Legal Summit. Uh, so we had, it's an annual thing that we put on at the end of February for real estate investors. Uh, we, we had 28 tax and legal sessions and two keynote sessions. It's all online, all virtual. So that's, uh, that's what we're coming off of this past weekend. <laughs> nice, man. Well, what would be the number one takeaway? The number one takeaway would be to send out speaker instructions and have walkthroughs <laughs> on, on Zoom and how to use Zoom just to make sure everybody's on the same page. Because we, we were going fast. We had back-to-back-to-back-to-back sessions Saturday and Sunday, 10 a.m. to 6 p.m. Eastern. So it was like, all right, you got like, you got two minutes to figure this out. <laughs> Congrats, man. Well, that's exciting. I know it sounds like it was a great, great, great attended event. And I'm sure there will be a lot of fruits coming from that, you know, for, yeah. for many months and in years to come. So, yeah. well, Brandon, I, I love your story so much because I think you start off like so many kind of down the path. And I know that that's kind of where I went too, is you kind of you know, you pursue the American dream, right? You want the white picket fence, you want the high paying salaried corporate job, and you kind of ride off into the sunset in retirement. And I know, fortunately for you, you kind of came to that realization a little bit sooner than I did kind of in the process. So I guess just to kind of start off, let's kind of start working through your journey. So how, you know, where did you start? And how did you get to the point now where you've run in this virtual CPA organization and hosting great events like you just talked about with the tax and legal summit? Yeah, so I graduated from school from college in 2013, then immediately joined PricewaterhouseCoopers in the federal consulting department. So we moved up to DC, I did a lot of consulting. We were actually valuing towers for a federal agency, like cell phone towers for a federal agency. So that was a lot of fun. Um, I say it was a lot of fun. And then I'm also going to say three months into that job, I realized it ain't for me. <laughs> I can't, I just, I, I struggle taking orders from other people unless you've demonstrated like some incredible value to me or unless I respect you in some way, I just can't like, I just can't operate that way. And, um, you, you know, or, or if you hear my ideas and you, you say, yeah, let's try to implement that. Then all of a sudden we're collaborating and I'm not just like, you know, getting hammered all day with, with, uh, orders. So I, um, I was three months into my PwC career and I realized I just, this is not for me. I did not want to wait 15 years to make partner and make 400K a year. Um, I, I just I thought it was extremely boring. It, I just saw that track and I was just immediately like bored. I didn't like the mediocrity or the idea of the mediocrity that came with that coming into the same office every single day in the, you know, one of my three suits every single day going to the, the same dry cleaner every single week. And it just, it just, didn't excite me, um, me personally. So I did some soul searching three months into that job. And I was like, well, what am I supposed to do with my life? Cause this is not, this is not it. Uh, and I found, I actually found a, it was a PowerPoint presentation. It was like 200 slides and I forget the guy's name. And it's a shame because every time that I talk about this, I always forget his name and the presentation. But if you can find it online, it's like a 200 slide PowerPoint presentation about finding your purpose, man, I went through that thing and like came out a brand new man. I started reading every single book I could get on, get my hands on, uh, found the bigger pockets forums and started asking questions there about investing in real estate. And as I was working through my CPA exam, 
on that bigger pockets forum, I realized that there were a lot of people asking questions about taxes and real estate. So I started answering them more as a way just to train myself for the upcoming CPA exam sessions or sec- sections that I was taking. Um, and then that kind of snowballed a little bit. So I got addicted to it because uh, like, like literally addicted to it. I mean, any second, you know how you see people on their phones all the time. Well, that was me on bigger pockets, on, on the bigger pockets forums, like literally all the time at work, at lunch, in the subway, any, any second that I could get, I was on there and I realized I was addicted to it because of all the positive feedback. That positive feedback loop is addicting. And actually it's something I try to remember as a leader of people now. Um, you know, my manager never gave me positive praise. It was always like, you know, you, you would do something, do something, do something for weeks and months. And then you would hear about it at some later point. Whereas I could go through a post up real quick. And so we'd be like, oh my God, thank you so much, Brandon. This was great. Like, cool. I want more of that. That sounds awesome. That, that got me jazzed up. I just helped somebody and I feel great about it. So I just did a lot of that. I mean, I had like, I had 1300 posts in, in a matter of about, I think 18 months or so. And that, that was a, a lead generation tool for us at the beginning of, at the beginning when I was on my own, I would just post, people would reach out and say, how can I work with you? And then I had to try to figure out how to answer that question, right? <laughs> how can you work with me? I have no idea. I, I wasn't really planning on running a CPA firm. I knew that I didn't want, you know, the 15 year partner track at the big four. Um, I knew that I wanted to be some sort of entrepreneur and take a risk. I didn't know that it was going to be running a CPA firm, the thing that I was trying to get away from. Um, but yeah, it just sort of snowballed into, into something bigger. I was on the Bigger Pockets podcast and I went from like maybe getting two leads a week to 20 a week overnight. Um, so the first person that I hired at my firm was actually a salesperson. Most CPAs hire like an admin or something as they scale to do all the dirty work behind the scenes. But I hired a salesperson because I was just like, I can't, I can't deal with all the leads and try to service my current clients at the same time. Um, so that's how I did it. That's kind of the that's kind of the story. And now we've got 24, a team of 24. So that was back in 2015 when I, I think 2015, I netted like 4,000 bucks that year. Um, and now we've got a team of 24 people. We've, we're hiring all over the place. Uh, where, where it's like the business is now running without me. And, and I mean, I'm still a very big part of the business, but like if I if something happened to me, the business would survive and keep going which is really cool. And it's also very weird because the business has specific needs that I'm realizing that it's not like, you know, it's, it's not totally me anymore. Like you, you have to feed the business <laughs> and the business has specific needs that it needs to be fed with. So it's, it's really interesting like where we're at right now, but we've got about 600 clients across the United States. They're all in real estate. Uh, we've seen it all. We've made tons of mistakes uh, and we've also learned a heck of a lot. And I think that we're probably one of the one of the better firms in the United States on uh, on real estate tax issues these days. Man, whew, that was that was pretty impressive. And I mean, and, and I mean, again, you're talking about the time frame. I mean, that's a, that's an impressive compression, right? Kind of through the start of when you, that idea popped in your head, you know, like, hey, this isn't for me to be able to build a firm of that size and, and of that caliber. So one thing I'm interested in is, you know, kind of starting to go down that entrepreneurial path. Is that something folks in your family had had, or is that something that was foreign to you? Like, how, how did that kind of come about? Because I think the mindset is what the challenge is for most people, the safety net of the paycheck and the consistency. It's a lot easier to kind of fall into that mediocrity because it feels more, it feels more safe. Again, sometimes maybe that's a false sense of security, but how did you kind of, you know, create this mindset that you're like, Hey, I could actually do this and, and actually build a firm. Yeah. It started in college. So, so my, my parents are engineers. Uh, they both graduated from Georgia Tech and they're um, like mechanical, I think, engineers, but they, they work on fiber optic cables, so not entrepreneurial. They've been successful in their corporate careers and, and they earn good money, but, uh, you know, solid middle class, not like not anything above that. When I quit my job, I was at Ernst & Young at the time when I finally quit and went full time into my CPA firm. When I quit, uh, I remember my dad saying, but what about health insurance? <laughs> and I was like, man, health insurance is going to be the least of my concerns <laughs> if I can't make this work. <laughs> um, so not entrepreneurial. I think my mom's always kind of had the entrepreneurial bug, but never really acted on it. So my mom was really great growing up, teaching me about finance and money and, and having me like participate in different things like these stock clubs where you would 
team up with people and over a span of three months, see who gets the best return on your portfolio. So I think it was kind of like ingrained at the beginning, at least the financial piece. I'd always been very interested in money, very interested in money, very interested in understanding how money works, how investing works, uh, even in high school. When I got to college, I read a book called How to Win Friends and Influence People. And amazing book, one of the best books that I've ever read. But throughout that, I realized that, you know, this guy is writing books, teaching me how to talk to people. And he also does seminars on how to talk to people. I think that's really where that entrepreneurial bug was sort of implanted into my mind. I also was lucky. I had a real estate. I took a, I was able to audit a graduate real estate course while I was in college and the professor had like 60 of his own properties. And so I would talk to him almost every single day after class, asking him a ton of questions. His name's Eli Baraha. He's one of the few PhDs. He's got a specific PhD in real estate and there's only like 20 of them in the United States. And he's, he's somewhere down on Florida um, at one of the Florida institutions these days, but brilliant guy, like brilliant guy. Uh, but what got me really interested was, you know, he's talking about investing in Berkshire Hathaway. He's talking about his extensive real estate portfolio. And I think that was kind of the bug. So when I, when I graduated college and got a job at PwC, I was going for, I want the I want to be in the biggest city possible because I had a couple offers from different companies elsewhere. It's like, I want to be in the biggest city possible, making as much money as possible. And I'm going to live really frugally so that I can invest in real estate and create this cash flow stream um, that that uh, that I wouldn't have to work for. And I know that I said I found bigger pockets, but I had had that idea of investing before I even graduated college. <clears throat> Yeah, and I think that's such an interesting dynamic because I think so many people, it's kind of realization later on in their career of like, oh my gosh, like if I could detach my labor from my income, you know, what could I do? Or if for whatever reason I had, you know, loss of income or I had, you know, uh, maybe a pay cut due to, you know, unforeseen economic events, you know, or craziness like we have in the world right now. And I just think that's such a powerful time, right? When you realize, okay, great, you know, what can I do to park this money over here? You're, you're obviously giving up, you know, short-term benefit instead of going out and spending it at the restaurants or going on lavish vacations and anything. And I just think that's such an important piece for, for people to think about, you know, if they really want to get there, it does take a lot of sacrifice on the front end and you've really got to put in that effort. Um, so I think it's interesting because you started off going on bigger pockets and you, I know you talked about the slideshow and the purpose and that kind of got you there, but the fact that you know, kind of at that time, it wasn't as popular as it is today, but a message board was able to springboard you, you know, to this reach and this client base. So what really pushed you there? And how were you able to go about kind of building a business, leveraging your presence and notoriety within bigger pockets? Yeah. Well, I think I was like 24 when I started this or 23 when I started posting on bigger pockets. Right. So, I mean, you know, I, I still have that original photo that I put up and I look like a baby. <laughs> so I, I, I figured that if I just provide people with answers, they would potentially want to work with me. Um, and, and that's exactly how it played out. So it, it was, it was super interesting because I remember getting on sales calls and people would say, well, how much experience do you actually have? And I would tell them honestly, not a lot. But I'll tell you what, I'm going to work harder than the old guy is to try to get you the right answer. And I'm going to tell you when I don't think it's when I don't know if it's the right answer or not. So you're you're hiring somebody that doesn't know for sure. uh, And that is risky for you. So I would just call out the elephant in the room every single time. And it worked like a charm, at least in the early days, building that thing up. And then it got to the point where it's like, yeah, I'm young. I also have 600 clients. So do you want to come on board or not? I've got private equity funds. I've got syndicates. I've got small mom and pop shops. I've got people with 300 rental properties. Let's go, right? <laughs> we can do the accounting, the tax compliance, the planning. So now it's easy. But at the beginning, I just got really good at smoothly talking about, yeah, I am young. Yeah, I don't know what I'm talking about. And I'm going to tell you, I don't know what I'm talking about, but I'm also going to tell you how I'm going to get to the answer. And, and, um, and what I'm going to present you with so that you feel comfortable that this is the right way or this is the right answer. And that was hard because it was a ton of research, a ton of time. But I, I, there were a couple things that I got lucky with. I got lucky with timing. Um, you know, real estate had just kind of curved back up after that 09 crash. So it was about 2014 or so when I, when I jumped on bigger pockets and really heavily invested a lot of time into it. So we were on the up and up. Everybody was making money in real estate. When you're making money in real estate, you're asking, how do I mitigate my taxes, right? 
So that was that was one point of luckiness in in my favor. The other point was there was only like one or two other CPA tax advisors on Bigger Pockets at the time. So we it was kind of blue ocean. Um, we we had the entire thing to ourselves, and we would actually like race each other to be the first one to post. You know, I'd, we'd set up all of our keyword alerts. We used to joke that we used to race each other to be the first one, and uh, and and that that was helpful. And now it's not like that. The CPA is on there, so I don't think that I could have the same success if I went back and tried to do that all over again the same way. But then the third third thing where I got lucky is I just I got lucky that I was at PwC with a manager that never gave me positive feedback because I got addicted to the positive feedback on bigger pockets. I got addicted to that positive feedback loop. I loved it. I loved it. I would like, like I'd wake up at 4am in the morning just to get on bigger pockets and post like 300 times before, or not, not that many, about 30 times before jumping in, you know, going to work, jumping in the subway. So there were a few things that just kind of stacked up perfectly. Um, and then just that fact that I just didn't want to live the, me, the mediocrity was the scariest thing for me. It was the biggest risk. I didn't want to be bored in my life. I wanted to, to try to build something myself. Um, so that, that's, I think that's what's kind of springboarded that, uh, that initial success. It's so funny when we look back and some of the experiences at the time are, you know, uncomfortable or, or potentially even painful. And, and just like you alluded to, you know, you're so fortunate that, that your manager at the time wasn't really at least I'm making an assumption here, but didn't have super high EQ, right? You know, their emotional intelligence wasn't, wasn't quite on for empowering their people, which is probably, you already mentioned it, but it's probably helping you become a better leader and ensuring that your employees are getting that positive feedback loop because, you know, at least from experience and from psychology, you know, I think that drives a lot more of positive reaction than just the monetary side of it. So, um, so you're on there, you're on bigger pockets, you're talking tax talk, right? One of the most sexy and exciting topics, you know, known to man. So, how did you go about kind of being able to make it a little bit more interesting and kind of bring on clients and get people interested to stuff that at times could be, you know, caught in minutia and a little bit dull? How you able to, how were you able to make that a little bit more exciting and interesting for folks to gravitate towards? Yeah, well, there, so, so this is like, this is the whole sales funnel, right? It's the awareness, consideration, and then the purchase or whatever, whatever's after consideration. Somebody else on my team handles the consider after the consideration. I just do awareness consideration anyway. So, uh, <laughs> so, so the what what I realized early on was that like I'd be on the phone with with prospects uh, and my sales calls would go like an hour, hour and a half, which is hilarious. You know, these days it's twenty minutes tops, <laughs> but it used to be like an hour, hour and a half. And I used to be trying to answer everything, so I'd be like googling what they're asking me, and I would find a ton of CPA firms' websites. And what I realized is all these CPA firms. They, they produce content, right? And it's pretty good content, but it's written too technically. So, so who's going to find it? It's not their prospect in the awareness piece of the funnel. It might be a prospect in the consideration piece of the funnel. Like, okay, I know who you are. You produce good content, but now I want to confirm that you know your stuff. That's where you hit them with the super technical stuff because we have the super technical stuff too. But we don't show that. We're not trying to rank that on Google because we know that that's not what drives traffic to you. But that's what was happening. So I would Google something in a little bit more in a in a more technical manner, um, and I would be presented with all these articles from CPAs, and they were so helpful. But I'm never going to buy from a CPA. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not who they want. And so I realized early on, if I want to uh, do a good job with content marketing, I've got to tell stories. I've got to use tons of examples. I've got to make it relevant to the end person. I've got to educate them so that I can hit them with the technical piece. Because if you find, like if you Google real estate professional status, we're probably one of the top folks that pop up. But like you can also find the tax advisor article on real estate professional status. It will pop up too. And you read that and you're just, you're, your head's exploding because you're going, okay, I have no idea. I don't even know why this is relevant to me. Um, so we try to feed content to you that steps you along that educational journey. And then you, you should you read the technical stuff at some later point, but only once you've kind of gotten your feet wet. And a lot of CPAs are bad at that. They, they don't write content to their actual target audience in the awareness phase, like people who need base level education and need to be stepped up to that technical piece. So that's what I did. And, and essentially, that, that's why I've been successful is I've just written articles that people can understand. 
I think that's such an important statement just around anything, right? Regardless if it's, you know, services-based business, you know, technical knowledge, or if it's a product, right? You know, you got to get that no like, and trust, but you got to make sure that the way you're speaking is relevant and consumable to the audience. And I think your point's so valid. You're like, I mean, you know, a lot of these articles that you're reading were gold, you know, you're like, oh my gosh, this is so informative and it makes sense. But me, Joe Blow, that's trying to read it is just, I, I can't make sense heads or tails, right? So I'm just exiting out of that, out of that screen and saying, okay, you know, this just doesn't make sense. And I think that's just such an important piece from marketing in general. And I know you said you got lucky, but a lot of the points you're talking about were so intentional around how you were looking to build your business and yourself and your brand. And I think that, you know, I'm sure that was a huge portion of how you were able to attain, you know, kind of this rapid ascension to, to where you are today. Yeah. I I remember running a test. My, My parents invest in real estate and they've been investing for a long time. I remember running a test. I sent my my parents an article and I was like, tell me how how much you get through and how much time. And, you know, like three days later, they were like, oh yeah, we read the opening paragraph and gave up. (laughs) And it was a technical article. It was a technical (laughs) ZPA article. So then I wrote another one in just a casual conversation, sort of tone of voice, stories, examples, send it over to them. They're like, oh, this is great. And I was like, yeah, it's the same topic. Just, it's just kind of um, given to you on a different platter. And, And that, that alone, like if you are, the thing is, the thing about services that I've realized is it's incredibly easy to build a services business to a certain point. I think services businesses are really difficult to scale once you hit some point of inflection. And that point of inflection is when I need a team of 20 people, it becomes really hard to scale at that point because it's a people business and people are challenging and they come with their own experiences in life, their own traumas, and you have to lead them through it, right? And that's where it becomes really difficult. But if it's just me and like two other people, I can really easily, you look at all the businesses that you can possibly run. I can make zero investment. I can run everything virtually out of my home office. I can probably scale that to three, $400,000 with a team of two people very quickly. If I just focus on really solid content and really solid content's just like this podcast, let's just talk in a normal person tone of voice. Let's give lots of stories and examples. Let's hook the reader and they're going to want to know more and we're going to educate them. We're going to provide so much value. We're going to give it all away for free. CPAs are hilarious. They're like, oh, I don't want to give it away for free because that's what they pay me for. And I'm like, cool, well, I'm going to give it away for free. So then they're going to come read my stuff. They're going to ignore you. And when they read my stuff, they're going to go, this is really complicated, but these guys seem to know what they're talking about. So let's go work with Brandon's team. So you just can't give it away for free. Just, just make it really conversational, really easy to digest, and and you'll scale. You'll hit that initial stride. Um, that that that's what we did. I think that's a great point around. You know, they've got to get some value out of it, right? If it's like you said, if it's overly technical. And giving it away for free is kind of, you know, the perceived risk. But if they get something out of it, and like you said, they say, these guys know what they're talking about, but I can only understand it to 75%. You know, that another that last 25% where the expertise really matters, well, now I need to actually go to them. And they've already kind of had that, you know, intimate more connection with you because they're saying, hey, you know, this makes sense. It's credible. If I go call these guys on the phone, it's going to be more conversational than just mm-hmm. technical jargon. And they're going to say, I'll do it for you and put it away. Because people, you know, the higher up you get and the more capitalized you get, you at least want to have some understanding of what you're doing, right? You don't want to just jump in headfirst and, ah, Brandon's got it, you know, like, here, I'm just going to give him the keys to the castle. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm playing the long game too. I mean, we have people that come on board now and they go, I've been reading your stuff for four years and I'm just ready to offload it to a team that knows what they're doing. You know, so, so that person's been, been siphoning my value for four years, right? I've just been feeding them with new content, new content, and they've been digesting it, digesting it. They've given me nothing in return. And now all of a sudden they're just ready to offload it. So as people scale too, you know, over the years, they're going to get a large enough operation or they're just going to have life events where they just don't want to do it anymore. And if you're the one that's been helping them do that, do it themselves, who are they going to give it to? (laughs) They're going to give it to you. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, um, so you talked about, you know, you, you started on this rise and now you're where you are today. So what were some of the challenges that you guys faced getting from, you know, kind of, I guess not out of the basement, but obviously, you know, a smaller firm that you're kind of just bootstrapping it to the point now where you're, you're actually out of the business and, you know, you're kind of more overlay over the, over the day to day. Yeah. So we, we've had a few primary challenges. The first challenge that we, that I experienced, I should say myself was, 
um, how do I charge clients for like, like, what is my package going to look like? What is my pricing going to look like? There's a whole bunch of like, like if you, if you're, if you do any sort of research on like, how should I price CPA firm services? What's going to pop up is value pricing. So there's so much on this value pricing narrative versus hourly rates and all that stuff. And that was the first major consideration. We, I went the value pricing route. I created three tiers of packages. I've seen multiple CPAs iterate like in this space, look at our old website and try to do that themselves. And it works for a time, but once you get to a certain point, the, the packages, you're onboarding clients that just have such unique circumstances that the packages don't make sense and you start losing more than you win. So I ended up getting rid of the packages, but that was our first sort of major challenge was figuring out how, how do we price how do we scale with this pricing model and when do we switch and how do we switch? Uh, but the other, the other problems that we've had is capacity planning. I mean, it's so hard to plan. How do you plan for filing 500 tax returns before 415? And, and how do you like, not like, I'm not really big on the seasonal work. Like I like to hire people into our culture and have them stay for a long period of time. So like, how do you, how do you budget all that out so that in the summer months when you're bleeding cash flow, you're not actually worried. <laughs> so that was a big challenge. And then our, our third big challenge has been leadership. I mean, I think that leadership is one of my superpowers, at least that's what my, this is what a couple of people on my team tell me. Um, and that was fine when I had five people, eight people. Like I could, I could talk to all of them every single day and I could lead them and I could have the hard conversations with them and I could, you know, set the record straight and, and help them understand why, why it's the way it is and where we're going. But now I have to lead leaders <laughs> and leading leaders is really challenging because people don't like pain. Humans don't like pain. That's why attorneys make so much money, right? <laughs> people don't like pain. So, so, you know, I'm going to have to encourage you multiple times to go have a tougher conversation that needs to be had with your, with your staff. And, uh, and, and that's the, the current challenge that we're actually facing right now is, is how do I groom the other leaders in our firm to be better leaders so that everything can be really clear out in the open. And that, that is challenging. That's very challenging. That's what I, that's also what I was kind of referring to when I said, you know, I can scale a firm to three, four people, 400 K super easily, you get above that and now it's people. It's, it's just how do, you, how, do you, how do you get everybody kind of collectively pointed in the same direction? And that is, that is challenging. <laughs> Absolutely. And I mean, I think it's, it's interesting because like as you started, you know, it was kind of just you kind of getting out there. And now, you know, like you said, it's kind of getting to the point where it is just you managing these different segments and, you know, and these folks and trying to get them, you know, where they need to be. What's been the most fulfilling being able to build a business to that size? The most fulfilling thing is hiring people that want to be on the rocket ship. I've hired people that tell me that they want to, and then they actually don't really want to. They just they think, so we're a virtual CPA firm. Everything we do is remote. Uh, we, we don't take paper. Uh, my staff live all over the country. Uh, we've got, you know, I tell people we have 24 different offices, which they make it sound really big. Really, it's just 24 people working out of their homes. And people see remote or virtual, uh, and this is also pre-COVID, now it's a little bit more normal, but people see remote and virtual and they go, oh, this is an easier job. This is a work-life balance job. And so I have had struggles explaining to people, this is not a work-life balance job. This is actually, we're trying to grow to $100 million. We're at three right now. We've got a long way to go. And what that requires is weekends and it requires overtime. And if you want to be a part of that, then we're going to freaking crush it together. And by the time that we're all 40, we're going to be kicking back. You know, It's going to be awesome. It's going to be so awesome. But it's going to require a lot of hard work, stress, and pain to get to that point. And so what's been a lot of fun is hiring people that, that want to be a part of that vision. And, and I've hired some really strong people that want to be part of that vision um, and people that are great leaders and can motivate other people to be part of that vision. That's what's been fun. That's what's been fun. But I've also noticed that you know, over the past couple of years, as we've scaled, I, it was very easy to talk about that vision for my first like eight hires. And then people after that, you know, they're not really joining because of me. They're joining because it's a virtual CPA firm specialized in real estate and area that they think that they want to know more about. 
And so it's also making sure that they understand the vision and that they want to be a part of it. But that that's the most rewarding thing is when you get somebody and you realize, oh man, they're really fired up about this. Um, and I always try to set that person up for success. <clears throat> Well, and I think it goes back to kind of what you touched on before around delayed gratification, right? I mean, you know that you're going to have to front load all this work and, and effort and build it to a point and then, you know, kind of akin to real estate, right? You got to build up your capital stack and, and, and slowly plug it away, plug it away. And then over time it appreciates and, and it grows in value. And then, you know, eventually hopefully you can kind of step back a little bit and maybe be a little bit more passive and hands-off. Mm. So, uh, no, I think that's a really interesting, consistent theme. So, something you just talked about that I think, it, <clears throat> I know you started this from the beginning, the virtual firm, right? So now it's kind of, you know, it's a little bit more common and accepted, but when you did start this, why virtual? And, you know, h- how did that really help expedite the, the growth of the firm? So originally it was just the fear of mediocrity. I just didn't want to be tethered to one spot for an extended period of time, even though DC was like an awesome spot and I wish I was still there. I'm in Raleigh, North Carolina now. <laughs> um, a little bit too suburban for me. But uh, but anyway, the, the idea was just that I can explore the world. I can travel anywhere. And as long as I have a Wi-Fi connection, I'll be fine. I can service my clients. That's all I need. I can do Zoom. I can do phone, VOIP. I can take docs, deliver docs securely. As long as I have a Wi-Fi connection, I don't need paper. Uh, so that was that was really what it was, just the ability to pick up and go anywhere I wanted to at any time. Uh, the funny thing is that I had never actually traveled and worked. <laughs> I met my wife and we moved to Raleigh, North Carolina, and this is where we've been. So uh, so I haven't actually done any of the traveling and working, but several people in my firm have, which has been cool. Yeah. And so one point I've heard you talk about before is how do you build rapport with clients, especially in a, a services business that is, you know... Y- is more of a handshake, you know, kind of an old, you know, kind of the, the old way of, you know, handshake and things like that. So how is it building rapport with, with clients in a, in a high knowledge space, never being able to actually, you know, shake their hand or, or go grab a bite to eat with them? Yeah. I, I mean, I think that there is definitely a, a con to the virtual interaction. Um, when I, uh, so when I was in DC, I used to go around to the different real estate meetups and shake people's hands. And some of those people became my clients for sure. Best relationships, no, hands down, but you can still do it virtually. You can't go shake somebody's hand, which is, which is a critically important part of any, any relationship, but you can still do it virtually. And what we do is we just try to ask people, what are your goals and dreams? What, what are you really trying to accomplish here? You know, it's not, let's stop talking about taxes and accounting for a second. I just want to know like what you're trying to accomplish so I'm going to write that down. And every time that we talk, it's going to pop back up. And I'm going to give you tax advice that aligns with that. How does that sound? And they go, cool. Yeah. Nobody's asked me about my goals and dreams before. So that's cool. And, and that that was how we did it initially. And we still do that periodically. I don't think that, that it's as prevalent because I'm not doing all the client facing stuff anymore. But that's stuff that I do with my employees too. You know, I sit them down and I go, what are your goals and dreams? And then they always answer, well, I want to be promoted within, you know, like two years and da, 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 da. I'm like, okay, that's great. But like, what's your dream car? Where do you want to live? How big of a house are you talking? How much, what, what does that house cost? You know, it's like, oh, I, I, I want to buy a Porsche 911. That's $300,000. Wow, sweet. Okay, so to buy a Porsche 911, that's $300,000. You probably need to be making four or 500 grand, right? Yeah, definitely. So that probably means like partnership material, right? Like, yeah. Okay, so how can we help? How can we, you know, how can we get you there? That means you got to manage a book of 2 million bucks and you got to, so it's just, it allows you to kind of like tie everything back in. And, and I think that you can build great rapport just by taking an interest in people. Yeah, no, definitely a lot of really good leadership advice coming out of this. I mean, you mentioned it as your superpower before, but I mean, just in general, I think leadership is so akin to, to sales and relationships in general, right? Because it comes down to listening to me more than anything, right? And I just think you talked about in the beginning, you trying to get out and tell your story. And now you're trying to get that story out of other people. And I think that's just such a great way to bridge a relationship because you're really trying to understand what they're trying to get. At the end of the day, the tax advice is just a tool and a conduit to get them to some of those goals, but the tax advice isn't really the end result that they're looking for. And I think the way you just phrase that and kind of asking them that, I can see how people really gravitate towards that. So, so you and a partner, well, I know, so you've got two podcasts. Uh, so you've got the real estate CPA podcast and you've got the staying power podcast. So I know we've talked a lot about the CPA side. So I, I want to dig into the staying power podcast a little bit. So you and your co-host talk about the realities of starting a small and mid-sized business, 
primarily in the services space. But what I love the most about it is that it's no holds barred, right? And that's kind of the point of trying to get this out there is like, you know, it's great to want to be an entrepreneur and go out there and be uber successful and whatever the case is, but usually it's not rainbows and unicorns. And there's a lot of struggle. There's a lot of, there's a lot of heartache and there's, there's challenges that you need to overcome to be successful. So, so how did you guys kind of come about that idea? Cause you've got this great firm, you've got this great podcast, why start dabbling in, in that side and, and why kind of the genre that you guys chose to go through? Yeah, well, it, it was it was all um, we had been talking about it for a while and then COVID hit and that accelerated everything because we had a bunch of CPAs reaching out to us asking us how we were running a virtual firm because we'd been doing it for four years at that point. So we kind of figured out all the operational issues and, and what you need to do to keep your team together. Um, so we were just like, okay, well, let's just let's just quickly launch this thing. We'll get some cool speakers on and that'll be that. The goal was to try to like do business consulting with CPAs. What we realized though, is that it's just like launching any other business. <laughs> you know, it's like, okay, why was the real estate CPA successful? Well, the real estate CPA was successful or found its initial success because Brandon dedicated 60 hours a week to posting on bigger pockets. So we can't just put a podcast out there and expect the money to come in. The other thing that we we, we didn't plan on, and, uh, and it's hilarious, CPAs by nature are cheap. I say that as a CPA myself who is cheap. So if you're listening and you're a CPA, don't get offended. I'm cheap too. It's really difficult to sell business consulting services to cheap people. <laughs> um, so we, we had like a group of people that we created a community for, and that was a lot of fun, like interacting with them for, I think we did that for about six months or so. And then we kind of dialed it back and said, okay, we're going to press pause until we're ready to dedicate more time to this so we can make sure that we can do this in a structured way and add value to you. So that was the idea. But the Staying Power podcast, you know, I've just, as I've scaled this business, so I, most CPA firms don't, we're, we're probably uh, one of the, if not the fastest scaling firm in the United States. At least that's what I've been told by other CPAs who run very large businesses or used to run very large firms. So uh, we're, we're growing really fast. And with that comes unique challenges that there are very, mo most other firms haven't experienced. So I, there was nobody that I could really talk to, to solve a lot of these problems. And the Staying Power podcast was just about that. It's just having the staying power to figure your issues out and crank through it and get out on the other side. Um, so kind of just like a, a preamble to potential coaching that that's, that was the idea. Yeah. Well, I'd recommend anybody to go check it out again. I, lo I love the transparency. I mean, and, and you kind of talk about your story throughout, you know, one of the first episodes and stuff. And so I, I think it's just really interesting and informative, even if necessarily not, you're not necessarily in the small business space yet. I think there's a lot of lessons learned that you guys can, can take out of the podcast and, and really glean from it. So, all right, well, I'll force you to get a little bit technical. I know, you know, we didn't want to get too far into the tax advice. They go to bigger pockets. They can go to your website. They can go all over the place to, to hear you talk tax. But um, I know one thing that you have a little bit of a contrarian view on recently uh, is you mentioned it earlier, the real estate professional status. So a lot of folks are looking to mitigate their tax liability as much as possible. And one of the best ways is if you have multiple streams of active income, you have real estate, you know, theoretically you have real estate professional status. You can offset a lot of your active income with your depreciation or different, different deductions. So for folks out there that and again, we can condense this, you know, I know you've got a, a piece on it, but what's kind of your recommendation for folks out there that are trying to attain the real estate professional status and the potential pitfalls they may step into trying to attain that? Yeah. So, so first let's talk about why real estate professional status is important. So when you invest in rental real estate, uh, rental real estate by default is a passive activity. And most rental real estate is going to produce a tax loss, even if you have positive cash flow because of depreciation. So if I buy a rental property and I have $10,000 of cash flow, I might be able to tell the IRS that I actually lost $2,000 that year because I might have $12,000 of depreciation, right? So $10,000 of cash flow minus 12K of depreciation, net loss 2K. That's what I get to throw on my tax return. So I get to report a net loss, even though $10,000 hit my pocket. Hard, cold, hard cash hit my pocket and I still get to tell the IRS I lost money. That's that's the benefit of, of investing in real estate from a tax perspective is that I can always earn money and not have to pay tax on the cash flow. Well, when you have that $2,000 tax loss, the question is, can I also claim that $2,000 tax loss against my like W-2 income, my business income, my dividends, interest, uh, sale of GameStop stock, 
GameStop stock. I always say GameStop stock. <laughs> GameStop stock. Well, that's Amazon a big win too. So there's a lot. There's a lot of. There's a lot of wins in the GameStop right now. So. <laughs> no, I know. I know. I know. Bitcoin. You know, if I liquidate any of those holdings, can I use my rental losses? And the answer is generally no. You cannot because rental losses are passive, and all of that income that I just described, W2s and stock sale, dividend interest, all that's non-passive. It's in a different bucket. So what you want to try to do is you want to try to move your rental losses out of the passive bucket and into the non-passive bucket. There's a couple ways to do that, but if you're earning more than $150,000, the only way to do that is to qualify as a real estate professional. So people want to qualify as a real estate professional so that when I lose $2,000, when I have a tax loss on my rental property, I can claim it in the current year against my W-2, my business and every other income, and it's not going to get suspended and carried forward. Because if I can't claim it, then it's a suspended passive loss. Just sits on my books forever until I die. And I can't claim it um, until I can, until I sell the property at some later point or generate some passive income. So everybody wants to qualify as a real estate professional because obviously time value of money says, I want to claim the loss right now. I want to claim that $2,000 loss. If I claim that $2,000 loss right now, I'm going to save $500 in taxes. I'm going to reduce my taxable income by 2K. It's going to save me $500 in taxes. I want to do that. So I want to qualify as a real estate professional. The problem is that there are a lot of people out there, typically education gurus, and sometimes CPAs and tax advisors that preach real estate professional status as a hook to get you to buy. And then they sell it to you as something that's very easy to do. And you end up in a very bad tax position as a result. Um, that that's relatively rampant because th think about it. If I try to sell like just, you know, general tax services to some high income earner, uh, they're not going to be that interested. But if all of a sudden I can tell them, oh, by the way, I can knock off 40 grand of your tax bill. If you, as long as you qualify as a real estate professional, but don't worry, it's not that hard. You're interested and you're going to be like, okay, how much does it cost to get information on that? The problem is, is that it's really difficult to do. It's also highly litigated. Uh, so I don't know how deep you want to dive into it, but let me, let me talk about the two statutory tests real quick for real estate professional status. Um, and actually, before I do that, I'm going to give you just a 30 second background on this code section. So in 1986, section 469 was added to the tax code. Section 469 is the passive activity rules. That's what says all rental real estate is by default passive. Any passive loss can only offset passive income. Any excess passive loss is suspended and carried forward. If you can recharacterize your passive loss as non-passive, then you can use the rental losses to offset your W-2 and your business income. So all of that's in section 469. And that was added in, in 1986. Before 1986, I could be a physician earning a million dollars a year. I could invest in rental real estate and I could take all the tax losses from my rental real estate and my accelerated depreciation and offset my W-2 income. So section 469 was added to the tax code in 1986 to stop the loophole. Because <laughs> a lot of people say real estate professional status is a loophole. No, wrong. Real estate professional status is not a loophole. It's an exception to the rules that stopped the loophole. So when you realize that, you go, well, it makes sense that it's so highly litigated then. And if you're going to claim real estate professional status, you should go into it expecting to be audited. It's not that you're going to be audited because it's still very low chance that you're actually going to get audited, but you need to go into it expecting to be audited. You've got to cross your T's and dot your I's. Um, so to qualify as a real estate professional, you have to spend 750 personal service hours in a real property trader business in which you materially participate. You also have to spend more time in real estate than anywhere else. So if I work a full-time job, 2,000 hours, I have to spend an additional 2,001 hours in real estate. So 4,001 hours to meet that more time in real estate than anywhere else test. And if I spend 2,001 hours, I'll also hit the 750 hour test. So if I can spend 2,001 hours in real estate and I have a full-time job, I'm a real estate professional. My rental losses are now non-passive. They can offset my W-2 income. Many people have tried to, uh, to say that I'm a, I'm a full-time employee and a real estate professional. Every single one has lost. Now, I'm an optimist. I believe that somebody one day will win. I don't want to represent them in tax court, <laughs> but I believe that somebody will figure it out at some point it's just a lot harder to, to actually achieve. You have to actually spend legitimate time managing your rentals, doing the construction, doing the repairs. You know, a lot of people will say your education time and your research time will count towards that 750 hour test towards spending more time in real estate than anywhere else. So let me put it to you this way. I can sit here and, and, and just research on realtor.com properties and that counts. 
Obviously not. That's not actually moving a property forward. That's not actually being involved in the day-to-day operations. And the IRS isn't going to count that. Neither is the tax court. But people will sell you on the education and the research time counting. They'll sell you on managing your property managers and doing the bookkeeping and paying the bills. None of that time counts towards the 750-hour test or the more than half your time test. But that's what they're going to sell you on. And so the, and then you go, oh, well, it's so easy. This is great. And you know, you, you might make it five years, you might make it 10 years, you might never get audited. But the second you get audited, all that time gets tossed out the window. I know because we wrote a 12,000 word guide on real estate professional status, because I was so tired of people coming to me and saying, oh, you're just being conservative. I'm like, I'm not being conservative. I just know what I'm talking about. And these other people don't. So I'm going to go write a 12,000 word guide that cites everything out fully. And that is on the real estate, C- www.therealestatecpa.com. You can hover over education and it's the ultimate guide to real estate professional status. I wrote that guide. And as a result of writing that guide, we've actually been pulled into quite a few real estate professional audits, people that want our help. Every single one of them loses. And when the auditor puts their opinion in, guess what they do? They do one of two things. They say, actually, typically both things. One, your time log contained research hours. And that was the majority of the time. And none of that time counts. And so so they automatically lose. Oh, and by the way, number two, you created the time log only after you got audited. So we're just going to document that. You know, that's not, that doesn't count against you, like for the purposes of losing the audit. But in case you want to challenge this, like this ruling and go to tax court, the tax court's going to drop you a notch because you didn't have a time log before the audit. You weren't keeping the records on an ongoing basis. Almost every single one of the audits covers that. So, um, so that it's just, it's just harder to get than a lot of people think it is. No, and, and I appreciate that. And I, I mean, the way you described it was very consumable and I would recommend anybody to go and check out that guide. I think it's tremendous. I think what I've heard the most that people get caught up on is the 750 hours, right? They say, oh, well, I need to do. And then that's kind of was my my notion in the beginning too, is oh, you just need to have the 750 hours. Of course, if you're researching or if you're touring properties or if you're doing other things. And I think not that this is the only section of it or anything, but obviously I think it's that you have to do more in that than, than any other business. And I think that's the challenge that most people are going to run into is if they are working full-time or, or have a business of some other sort, it's going to be hard to argue that they're working more than that you know, in, yeah. the, in the real estate realm. So yeah. uh, well, granted, there's, I mean- there's quite a few tax court cases where, where the taxpayer had a bunch of local properties and a majority of his time was spent researching foreclosure properties that he wanted to buy and add to his portfolio. The tax court struck it down. And, and the reasoning was the research time is not integral to your current rental operations. And so our litmus test is if your hours don't affect the day-to-day operations of a rental property that you own, then it doesn't count. So if I own rental property A, and then I spend 200 hours researching rental property B that I don't close on, well, that doesn't actually impact rental property A. Rental property A is still collecting rents, still paying bills, things are still working, the tenant's happy. So the time doesn't count. Yeah, no, that's an outstanding explanation as well. But yeah, as you said, we'll throw it in the show notes too, but everybody go check that out. It's a great guide, especially if you're looking to attain the real estate professional status. Worst case, you'll learn a little bit of something. Well, so let's wrap up here with a contrarian three pack. So I know you talked, you know, you've done some real estate before, um, but is there maybe one investment that you've made previously? You talked about GameStop, crypto. Uh, Is there one investment that you've made before that you would consider a little bit more contrarian or off the beaten path? Um, I think real estate's as far as it goes for me, or just running a business, investing all my time and running a business. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I've, I've owned a couple three unit properties. Um, and I, I did a, uh, I, I bought one in Baltimore after I moved out of DC, bought one in Baltimore because my wife was working at Under Armour in Baltimore. And it was a three unit property. We lived in one unit and rented out the other two. So that's probably about as contrarian as it gets for me. No, that, that's a great one. And, and the house hack, uh, as you're alluding to, is that's one that I kind of regret personally that I just never, again, you know, my epiphany was what's much later in life uh, than yours was. But I think the house hack is one of the best investments that you can make. And, and yeah, <laughs> on that note, so just kind of like the backup, how cheap CPAs are, because I am cheap. Um, I'm cheap in like a lot of areas, but some areas I splurge, which is really weird. Maybe I'm just normal. I don't know. But anyway, I, I house hack, right? So I, I, I bought this three unit. I live in one unit, rent out the other two. Now the other two covered my 
my mortgage and a little bit of, of my utilities, but I was still short about $300 of utilities. <laughs> so my wife was not my wife at the time. She was my girlfriend and then fiance. And I was like, Hey, if you want to live in this unit, you got to pay $300. <laughs> <laughs> and so, so I charged her rent for a good like year and a half to cover the excess utilities. I literally paid $0 to live in that property. It was awesome. <laughs> well, she's a lucky woman. Uh, you know, you must be doing so something lucky. right to keep her up. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I think That's I'm awesome. lucky. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> um, so I know we talked a lot about business and, and, and your business in particular uh, in general, but what are some of your favorite activities outside of the business realm and, and getting out and doing stuff uh, with friends and family? Uh, road biking. I, I love road biking. Got a Peloton so that I didn't actually have to lift a finger to go road bike. <laughs> um, and then I just played with my son. He's 17 months old and, you know, the... I don't know if I'm like a big fan of like the baby stage, but now he's like kind of in the toddler stage where he's super interested in different things like soccer balls and basketballs and trucks and stuff. So taking him out and kind of exploring the world has, has been a lot of fun. And they only start to cruise more and more, right? You know, then yeah. the, the area that they can cover and then how quickly they can get there. So no, that's, uh, that's, that's obviously super fun. And then what does offer you the most fulfillment in life? Um, I, I think I think right now it it changes for me as I get older and wiser, um, and that's something that I realized about the whole find your purpose thing and find your why. You know, the whole Simon Sinek find your why, and I, I just realized that as I, as I get older, my my needs change, my vision change, and at first I was like, no, I have to maintain the status quo, but then I just realized that's it's okay and that's part of life. You can change the goalposts. So right now it's just creating an organization that allows accountants to work anywhere in the world at any time and, uh, and be part of a big growth engine, uh, offer them an opportunity that they're not going to get anywhere else. So that, that's the big, that, that's my purpose at this point. Yeah. Well, and I know we're all excited to watch from afar to see where that goes. You know, that hundred million is, uh, I know you guys are going to be knocking on the door sooner rather than later. So, uh, but no, man, I, I love this conversation. I really appreciate the time for the audience members. What's the best way that they can get a hold of you out there? Yeah. So you can just, you can go to www.therealestatecpa.com. You can check us out there. Uh, if you want to email us, just email us at contact at therealestatecpa.com. I'm happy to answer any questions. My support team will get you in touch with me if it's something that I need to answer. Awesome. Well, cool, man. Well, best of luck hanging in there and continuing to scale and looking forward to hearing future successes. Appreciate it, John. Thanks for your time. Yeah, absolutely. Until next time, live fulfilled. Thank you for listening to Contrarian Cashflow. I would greatly appreciate it if you left an honest review, hit subscribe so you never miss an episode, and share with someone you feel would find value. Until next time, think different, earn different, live fulfilled.